remember their sacrifice for us. And in Father, in remembering those men and women that have gone before us and sacrificed their lives, Lord, we cannot help but think about you, Jesus, who went before us and sacrificed your life in the ultimate war and came out with the ultimate victory, that because you lived and died and rose from the dead, we now have life. And so we remember those who have gone before us and died. We remember those, Jesus, even today, who are dying for their faith, who are choosing to say, I'll stand for Jesus in the face of unbelievable persecution. As the vicar of Iraq said, don't forget us. We are your brothers. We remember their chains. We remember their suffering even this day. And we ask you, God, to strengthen your church throughout this world. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this day through your Holy Spirit. You already have, we feel, you've already manifested your presence here, Jesus, because you said that if ever two or more were gathered together, you'd be in our midst. And so we thank you for being here. We love you, and we ask you to speak to our hearts. We say, yes, Jesus, right now to whatever you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Amen. Um, I think we have some flyers available for you for this event. And I really, really want to encourage you to get to it. Uh, There's a lot of energy behind it, not in the New Age sense, but in the sense of um, God. Uh, Really, really, uh, thank you, Miss, Miss Jet. Um, uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, this is going to be cool and it's comedy. I mean, who doesn't like to laugh? I invited someone to this and actually my daughter, I was going to pick something up. My daughter said, bring some of those flyers. And I go, Oh yeah, good idea. (laughs) And, uh, and I gave it to this guy and, and he says, Oh man. And he's not a believer, but he is so close. I mean, he says all the right things, but he just doesn't know Jesus personally. And he goes, comedy, I love comedy. And so I invited him. He goes, I'll meet you there. I'm like, great. So uh, this is going to be cool. So grab some flyers, give them out to a few hundred of your most intimate friends, and, um, and just tell them, uh, tell them uh, I don't know, tell them you'll buy them a hot dog or something, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Um, so uh, uh, next uh, we're out of town this week, our family. We're going to, a, uh, uh, to the uh, Interna- Foursquare International Conference in Anaheim. And so, uh, you know, uh, isn't, we're going to check out for a week. And then uh, this Sunday coming up, uh, Pastor Jonathan will be bringing the word. And so, uh, you guys, you all will be looking forward to that. And then the Sunday after that, we'll, be, we'll all be up at the men's retreat. And uh, so we're excited about that as well. And there'll be a special guest speaker then as well. And you know his last name, and you may know him, uh, last name Mathis, first name Michael. Michael Mathis will be in the house, mommy and daddy smiling uh, real broadly over there. 
And uh, so uh, I, I assure you that, that Michael will, will bring it. And he's a, he's, a, he's a rising star in the kingdom. And, and uh, so anyway, just a, a little bit of information on that. So our message this morning is um, uh, strengthening your grip. It's part of the series that we've been doing, talking about strengthening our grip on our time and our talent. And this morning, it has to do with finances, money, the almighty dollar. And you know, every time I think about a message on, um, on finances or on giving, I can't help but think of that old song, money, 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 money. You know, does that, every time I hear the phrase, I go, anyway, um, that song was true, you know, it was true. It wasn't uh, biblical in that sense, but it was true in that song. And so, I don't know, um, uh, now, now I know I know what I just did, right? Now that's all you're going to think about. What did the pastor teach about? I don't know, but I keep remembering that old song about the OJs, money, 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 money. Anyway, and so as I was going through this and thinking about how to say this and how to share it, I realized that it's really not a money, a money teaching. And so if, 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 if you kind of feel like that's all churches ever do is ask for your money, no, that's not all we ever do. I mean, we do it, but it's not all we do. It's, it's a part of our worship, but um, it's really not about money. It really isn't. And so I've entitled this message, Strengthening Your Grip on Your Generosity, on your generosity, because really that's the issue. And so I uh, heard this quote uh, from an unknown author. We spend more, but have less. Uh, buy more, but we enjoy it less. We have bigger houses, but smaller families. More conveniences, but less time. We've multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. Learned how to make a living, but we've not learned how to make a life. We've added years to our life, but not life to our years. We've got larger things, but not better things. We have higher income, but lower morals. These are times of steep um, profits and shallow relationships. These are days of fancier houses, but broken homes. It's a time when there is much in the show window and nothing in the stockroom. Very well said. And I'm not sure exactly when that was written, but I have a feeling it was written quite a while ago, but those things still apply. Now, surprisingly, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about money. It really does. Um, there are 500 verses on prayer in the Bible. There are fewer than 500 verses on faith. And there are more than 2,000 verses about money and possessions. In fact, 15% of everything Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions. More than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. Money systems have changed since biblical times, but God's principles are still relevant today. Has anyone ever said to you the Bible is old-fashioned or the Bible is irrelevant and that it's a book of old truths that really don't apply today. Well, you know, as much as things change, they also remain the same. Because as I read my Bible, I read stories 2,000 years old. 
I read about struggles that men have or struggles that nations had, and I think, you know what? Things haven't changed all that much, okay? Just like family principles. Family principles don't change. Marriage principles don't change, no matter how you try to redefine marriage. Uh, life principles don't change. Values don't change. And here's the thing. Josh McDowell put this uh, uh, in a book years ago. Uh, the truths of the word are, of God are for all people and all places and all times. Because truth doesn't change. It's for all people because it's objective. It's not someone else's opinion. Because if truth is defined by people's opinion, then whoever has the biggest guns tells you what truth is. If it's a matter of place, then depending on where you go, that truth may apply, but someplace else it may not apply. So God's truth is universal. Whether it's in Las Vegas, or whether it's in Kathmandu, or whether it's in you name the place. It's universal. Not only that, God's truth applies all the time. It's constant. I mean, how would it be if our word, the eternal word of God, changed? And there was something somehow that a directive or a, uh, 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 a missive came from God and said, well, that part, we're, we, don't, we don't really apply that part. That part about love your neighbor as you love yourself, well, that's been changed. Changed? You mean I've been loving that ratchety neighbor of mine all these years and now I don't have to? What's up with that? I wish I would have known that 20 years ago. I could have hated him. No, I was trying to love him. Because God is unchanging, it makes sense. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, oh my goodness. You know what? It makes sense that his truth is unchanging. Let me quote to you something from the, from the Quran. It says this, Surah 2, 106. None of our revelations do we abrogate or cause to be forgotten, but we substitute something better or similar. Knowest thou not that Allah hath power over all things? Well, we don't really change it. We just update it or we substitute it. I have a question. How can truth be established if it changes? Uh, one uh, convert to Christianity from Islam, Farooq Ibrahim, said this, I struggle with the question of how an eternal revelation of Allah could have such time-bound revelation in it. It seemed at odds with the nature of Allah. The all-knowing, all-wise, creator and sustainer of the universe, the eternal, self-existent one. As a Muslim, this was one of the bigger challenges I faced in regard to the Quran. Although the Quran is said to be an eternal and universal scripture, I found it to be time-bound. Interesting. And so, when it comes to family, when it comes to how we live our lives, when it comes to truth, when it comes to money and possessions, God's principles don't change. And so that's why we've titled this title, Strengthening Your Grip on Your Generosity, because that's really what it's all about. At the core, it's not really a money issue that we may have, it's a generosity issue. Because generosity goes beyond your money. It's a lifestyle. And in fact, all of the New Testament is supposed to go beyond do's and don'ts and become a part of the fiber of who we are. Remember the Old Testament? The Old Testament was outside. Here's what I mean by that. You had to go to the temple. 
You had to go to the priest to get a word from God. You had to go to the prophet to hear what God was saying. You had to bring your sacrifices. Uh, the law of God was on the wall. You looked at it and you studied it, but it, it, was, it was on the wall. And it was something that you had to, with everything within you, you had to try to do it. And, and oh, it was so difficult because it got to the core of who you were. And then the New Testament, everything shifted. That's why the religious leaders in the days of Jesus were so upset because they knew that their jobs were in jeopardy and everything that they stood for was in jeopardy because now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now you're a priest of the New Testament order. Now you don't bring your sacrifice to the temple because you are the temple and you are the sacrifice. Okay? The Holy Spirit deciphers God's word for us. And by the way, you have a copy of God's word, not just in front of you that you can read it, but paste it inside on your heart. The Holy Spirit works through you and causes you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now the law of God isn't something on the wall, but it's something that's in my heart. Oh, it's now shifted. See, and so we live in the dimension of the spirit. 24-7, we don't go to church, we are the church. We don't go to worship, our life is to be a life of worship. Uh, we don't give a designated time, a designated amount, of, oh, uh, that might be a starting place, but, but our life is a life of giving, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not, our relationship with Christ isn't routine and ritual, it's organic and it's 24-7. It's not just, well, I went to church on Sunday, that's my time with God. No, it's so much more than that because it's everything we are, everything we do, it's how we look at life and how we filter things that we see. Generosity is a matter of the heart. If you try to be generous just to be generous, then your reserve will run out. But if it's from the heart as a matter of worship, we tap into a supply that overflows, that we would be a blessing to others. So why should we be a generous people? First of all, because God is generous. Jonah chapter 4. This is an interesting scripture verse that I found, and it really applies. Now, you know the story of Jonah. Jonah was told to go and preach the gospel to the Ninevites, and he absolutely did not want to do it. These were a brutal people who had just done horrible atrocities to Israel. And quite frankly, this prophet hated them. He disliked them. Remember the song we sang? Where you go, I'll go. Where you lead, I'll lead. Jonah was like, I ain't going over there and I'm not talking to those people. In fact, God said, go this way. Jonah said, Jonah said, no, I'm taking a boat that way. Now, you know the story of how he ended up on, uh, on the shores of Nineveh, a very circuitous route, route he took. But eventually, you know, he, um, uh, after a couple of days in the belly of a big fish, found himself on Nineveh. And so he went and, you know, at least began the process. But he still wasn't happy about it. Here's what he says, Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter 4. It says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, uh, therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. 
for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, uh, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out from the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself. There he sat in, in the shade uh, till he should see what would become of the city. Uh, basically, he went and preached the, God, the, the message that God told him to preach and the whole city repented. Now, this is, this is, this is probably the, like your average evangelist would not be mad at, I mean, you go into a city, a, a, a huge city, over 100,000 people, and, and the whole city repents. Usually evangelist is pretty happy about that. Well, he was mad about it because he hated the people. But his character, uh, well, uh, I knew that you were gracious. You, you could say generous and, and merciful, slow to anger. And abounding and steadfast. I, I knew it. I knew it. That's why people think Jonah was afraid of the Ninevites. He wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. He hated them and didn't want them to repent because he knew that would happen. <laughs> you know, and, and sure enough, it did. John chapter 316, you know that. God so loved. That's generosity. Romans 10:12 says this. No, uh, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord over all of us, and he generously bestows his riches upon all who call upon him in faith. See, God is universal. From the very beginning, the plan was to not just reach a particular people group, but to reach the world and reach everyone. So God is a generous God. Therefore, we should be a generous people. I've shared this with you before, but Harold Best in his, in his book is writing Unceasing Worship, Biblical Perspective on Worship and the Arts, says God's nature is unceasing and outpouring within the entity of himself. God exists within himself, doesn't need anyone else, doesn't need people to love him, doesn't need creation to exalt him. God exists within the core of who he is. And within that, there is unceasing, outpouring love, communication, adoration, affection within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that existed throughout eternity, past and eternity future. And so because we're made in his image, we are unceasing worshipers. We are unceasingly pouring out Human beings live to the glory of something. God has placed that within them. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's a cause. Sometimes it's, it's ourselves. We, we are imaging and reflecting the glory of a thing or a cause or ourselves. And so worship is defined as the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, all that I will ever be in light of being chosen by God. All people, Christians or not, are worshipers and they are outpouring whether or not their worship is directed at God. It's true. It's true. And because we're in union with Jesus, we should reflect his attributes and his characteristics. So God is a generous God. So therefore, his people who are made in his image, who are reflecting his image, who are unceasing and outpouring should also be a generous people. Okay? That's an that's a easy one to draw, right? All right. Proverbs 11.24 says this. 
There are those who generously scatter abroad and yet increase more. There are those who withhold more than is fitting or what is justly due, but it results only in want. The liberal person shall be enriched, and he who waters shall himself be watered. It's the law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest very simply says that the more seed you plant, the greater your harvest will be. The more seed you plant, the greater your harvest will be. On the other hand, if you sow sparingly, it says you will, you will result in want. And so it's a lifestyle of generosity that sows generously. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 5, Paul the Apostle was speaking about an offering that the Corinthians were going to give. Uh, and he said, he's basically giving them instructions on how to take that offering, make sure that you handle it before I get there. And he's, he's challenging them to make good on what they promised they would do. And he says this in verse 5, That is why I thought it necessary to urge these brethren to go to you before I do and make arrangements in advance for this bountiful promised gift of yours so that it may be ready, not as an uh, egg, uh, extortion that is wrung out of you, but as a generous and willing gift. And so he's sending some men on before him to say, hey, I'm going to send these men so they can take this offering so that when I get there, basically I don't have to worry about it. All right, and he speaks about this, make arrangements for this bountiful promised gift of yours, not as an exhortation wrung out of you, but as a generous and willing gift. Okay, now, and then he brings the concept of the harvest back into this in verse 6. Remember this, he who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly and he who sows generously that blessings may come to someone will also reap generously and with blessings. And he says, let each one give as he has made up in his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowful or under compulsion, for God loves, that is, God takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful giver, that is, someone who is joyous or prompt to do it, whose heart is in his giving. Is that great? That's the Amplified Bible. 2 Corinthians 9, 5 through 7. That's the kind of giving that we should be. Paul was concerned that their giving would be a matter of generosity. And I like the way the Amplified Bible puts it. Not something wrung out of you. You know, not, you, you don't want to, you don't ever want to give and feel like someone just wrung it out. You know, like a wet towel. You know, you just like, come on, I know there's more water in there. Ring it a little more. Okay, you got the last drop. <laughs> Great. Oh man, don't ever give because of that. That's beyond compulsion. I love the beauty of the Amplified Bible. You know, you walk out of church and say, how was it? I don't know, man, but they rang every penny out of me, man. Oh, my gosh. I ain't got money for lunch, you know. Man, we just rung, rung, ring it out. Paul says, don't, 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 don't give like that. Give generously. Because God never gives out of an attitude like that. God doesn't give 
out of an attitude like that, and neither should, should we. So generosity has more to do with our attitude in giving than the amount that we give. See, so that nullifies the whole how much you give issue to the matter of the heart. That's because what? The Lord is always concerned about the heart. Alan Redpath said this, when God gives grace, he does not reluctantly open a little finger and maintain a clenched fistful of gifts. I would tell you today that God's hands are nail-pierced hands and they are wide open. This fountain of grace is always pouring itself out with no limitation on heaven's side at all. We say amen to that. And that's the way we should give. And so here's another thing for you to note down regarding your generosity. God will provide for the generous heart. God will provide for the generous heart. He will. Always. 100% of the time, God will provide for the generous heart. The flip side is also true. God is not obligated to provide for the stingy heart. He's not obligated. Now, he can in his grace. He can do whatever he wants to do, but he's not obligated to. But he is obligated. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a formula here because that's it as Americans. Well, just give me the bottom line. Like if I give 10%, what do I get back? It's not like that, bro. It's not like that. Okay? You can't give expecting a formula to come out of it because you've already nullified the whole process because you're not giving generously and you're giving with a motive. All right, God, I'm going to give it. But if I give it, boy, you better do that. Oh, wait a minute, time out now. That's putting a string on that. You can't give that way. God will provide for the generous heart. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. You know the scripture, and my God shall supply most. Huh? <laughs> Y'all are like, most? Really? I didn't know that was in there. No, all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What are the riches and glory in Christ Jesus? The According to that measure, the riches and glory in Christ, he says, I'll provide to you according to that. Does that ever run? Do the riches and glory of Christ ever run out? Does it ever get low? Is there ever a recession in the riches and glory of Christ Jesus? Is there ever a time where the riches and glory in Christ Jesus need to cut back a little bit? You know, you know, thank you for giving to that wonderful need in Afghanistan. But, you know, the riches and glory in Christ Jesus is having a tough time. And so, you know, with the economy and everything, hey, it affects heaven too. And, you know, we're just not able to. No, no. These are spiritual. This has nothing to do with money. These are spiritual principles that have to do with money. Okay? So the context of Philippians 4.19 is in the context of the generous hearts of the Philippians. The Philippians were a giving people, and so God says God will provide because of that generous heart. If we give to God, He will give to us materially and spiritually. I am not talking about giving to get or if I give a whole bunch, I'll get rich. That's not the formula. That's not how it works. <clears throat> Spiritually, we can trust that God will reward the giving heart both now and in eternity. 
Acts chapter 10, the story of uh, Cornelius. Cornelius, a captain. It says regarding this man, 32 such Italian cohorts were stationed in the different provinces of the empire. They Italian volunteers and were considered the most loyal Roman troops. Uh, because he was such a loyal servant of the oppressors of Israel, any patriotic Jewish person of that day would have been automatically prejudiced against Cornelius. Okay, so let's read the scripture about this man who should have been despised and hated. Acts chapter 10 verse 1 says, Now living at Caesarea, there was a man whose name was Cornelius, a centurion or captain that was known as the Italian regiment. Verse 2, a devout man who venerated God and treated him with reverential obedience, as did all his household, and he gave much alms to the people who pray and prayed continually to God. Okay, I like this man, Cornelius. Let's look at just a quick snapshot. This is, this is the eternal word of God. This man is written down for us. Okay, a devout man who venerated God and treated him with reverential obedience, not only him but his entire household, and he gave much alms, uh, that's for the poor, to the people and prayed continually to God. Wow. Like this guy. Verse 3, about the ninth hour, 3 p.m. of the day, he saw clearly a vision, in a vision, an angel of God entering and saying to him, Cornelius. And he, gazing intently at him, became frightened and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and your generous gifts to the poor have, may, have come up as a sacrifice to God and have been remembered by him. And now send men to Joppa and have them call for and invite here a certain Simon whose surname is Peter. Okay, now let's look at this, what this angel says. First of all, he has an, he has a, a, a vision or a, a, a visitation of an angel of God. Okay, that's pretty um, impressive, all right? And it says, he says to him, um, your prayers and your generous gifts to the poor have come up as a sacrifice to God and have been remembered by Him. Okay? Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a sacrifice to God and they have been remembered by Him. It's almost as if God was searching for someone to begin to move the gospel out through the Gentile world and he finds a centurion and who is, who is a, 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 uh, a man of faith, a man who, who may not really even know Peter, but certainly he knows about Jesus and, and, but his entire family, he's a, he's a devout man. Uh, he has reverence for God, and, and not only that, that relationship that he had with God, whatever it was, caused him to give to the people of God generously. And then God up in heaven sees that and says, Cornelius, you guys see this guy? I'm paraphrasing, please. I don't mean to dishonor God. But like, look at Cornelius. And he goes, you know what? Angel, go visit Cornelius. Why? Because he honors me, he respects me, not only, not only him, but his entire family. And not only that, he cares about the people of God and he gives to the people of God. Angel, go visit him. 
Speak to him. Let him know that we are taking note of his general. It says here that your gifts to the poor have come up as a sacrifice to God. And God has remembered you. What he gave was so impressive that it got heaven's attention. And God visits him in the form, an angel visits him. And the apostle Peter comes and visits his house, shares the gospel message with him and his entire family, as Peter is speaking, gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This man had no idea how his life was being taken note of in heaven. He had no idea how those things that he gave were being remembered by God. This man gave and was blessed spiritually by a visitation from an angel as if that's not enough to write a book and go on the speaking circuit and be the number one Christian bestseller. And the Apostle Peter. That's pretty impressive. Jesus spokes of, speaks of these, this kind of a thing when it comes to um, um, a generous heart. Matthew 19, 29. Anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. He's talking about being blessed even though there's sacrifice on earth as well as eternally and paying dividends in heaven. Is that balanced? Does that make sense? Okay, you, you get that, okay? Cornelius received a visitation not because of what he did but because of his heart and because of God's grace and it all mixed together, okay? Because I don't want you to think, well, if I give a whole lot, will I have a visitation? Well, I'm going to say probably not, but you might. Okay, so again, it was the man's heart, which is the which is the real issue of our generosity. Okay, so a couple of things to kind of wrap it up. Things you can be generous in if you don't know where to start. Maybe a little bit different than what you're thinking. Be generous in your hospitality. Now, living grace, you have that. You are very generous when it comes to hospitality. You have that. Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 1 says this, let love for your fellow believers continue and be a fixed practice, never let it fail. Do not forget or neglect or refuse to extend hospitality to strangers in the brotherhood, being friendly, cordial, and gracious, sharing the comforts of your home and doing your part generously. For uh, through, through it, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So, be generous in your hospitality. Invite people over. Invite your neighbors over. In particular, those of the household of God. Uh, uh, provide a place for them. Do that. Step outside your comfort zone. I know. 
The idea of somebody coming into your house is kind of like, I ain't let nobody in my eye. I know, I know, I know. Hospitality is a Christian virtue, and we're told to be generous in our hospitality. And the writer to the Hebrews says, there have been some people who have entertained angels and didn't even know it. That's what he says. Be generous in your hospitality. Because God is a generous God. Be generous in your kindness. I thought you said this was about money. It's about generosity. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect or forget or neglect to do kindness and good to be generous and distribute and contribute to the needy of the church as embodiment and proof of fellowship for such sacrifices is pleasing to God. That's a powerful scripture right there. You know what he says? He goes, don't neglect kindness, generosity to the needy of the church in particular. He says that is proof of your fellowship. You can gauge the amount of fellowship that one might be in based on how they care for the needy in the church. And then he says, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You want to please God? Give generously to those who are in need. I present to you Cornelius, who was generous to those who were in need, and it was very pleasing to God. Yep. How about be generous in your love? You owe me. Living grace, you owe me. Did you know that? But I owe you too. And you owe one another. You owe this. This is your debt. You signed up for this. Don't be mad at the person next to you. It's not their fault. You signed up for this. And so did I. <laughs> You're thinking, what? Love. Hebrew, uh, Romans 13.8 says this. Keep out of debt and owe no man anything. Let me go amen to that. Except to love one another. That's your debt. You are indebted to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor, who practices loving others, has fulfilled the law relating to one's fellow man or meeting all of its requirements. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And you fulfill the law of God. Okay. That's the debt that you owe one another. Now let me ask you a question. How will you do that? How will you practically do that? I don't know. But that's your debt. Pay it off. How? By loving somebody. By loving those in need. By caring for somebody. Loving your neighbors. What does it mean to love your neighbors? Can't love someone you don't know. 
can't love someone when you're not involved in their lives. I know. Your neighbors are messed up. They might be thinking the same thing about you. See, Christianity is easy on paper. There was a young man here recently, and he's reading a book called Do the Hard Things. Do the Hard Things. Uh, Harris brothers, Joshua Harris, you might remember their older brother who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye. That was his book, if you remember that. Um, uh, so he's reading this book, um, Do the Hard Things. And I went, whoa, teenager. I go, wow. I go, hey, man, is that book hard? I mean, it says do the hard things. Is that hard? He goes, not really. I'm like, Really? I mean, do, 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 do you find it challenging? Does it stir you? He goes, it's not really challenging. I wasn't expecting that. I go, really? He goes, no. He goes, reading this book, this isn't challenging. What's challenging is what my mom makes us do. That's challenging. I went, oh. <laughs> yeah, because you can read the book, and that may not be too challenging to you, but when you actually have to do these things which is your option, your choice to join in. Oh, that can be difficult, right? I thought, oh, that's good, kid. That's good. <clears throat> there were once two young men working their way through Stanford University. Their funds got desperately low, and the idea came to one of them to engage Paderewski, Paderewski uh, the pianist, for a piano recital and devote the profits to their board and tuition. The great pianist manager asked for a guarantee of $2,000. This was, of course, a while ago. The students, undaunted, proceeded to stage the concert. They worked hard only to find that the concert had raised only $1,600. After the concert, the students sought the great artist and told him of their efforts and results. They gave him the entire $1,600 and accompanied it with a promissory note for $400, explaining that they would earn the amount at the earliest possible moment and send the money to him. No, replied Padorsky. Uh, that won't do. Then tearing the note to shreds, he returned the money to them and said, now take out of this $1,600 all of your expenses and keep for each of you 10% of your balance for your work and let me have the rest. As the years rolled by, Years of famine and destiny. Paderewski had become premier of Poland. The devastating war came and Paderewski was striving with might and main to feed the starving thousands of his beloved Poland. There was only one man in the world who could help Paderewski and his people. Thousands of tons of food began to come into Poland for distribution by the Polish prime, uh, primer, primer, premier. After the starving people were fed, Paderewski joined a journey to Harris to thank this man who had sent him relief. That's all right, Mr. Paderewski, the man said. Besides, you don't remember it, but you helped me once when I was a student at college and I was really in a hole. That man was Herbert Hoover. Just kind of an interesting story. I mean, you never know how God will take what you give and he'll take your generosity, not necessarily money, 
and multiply it to bless others. And you never know how God might even bless you for that. Before we close today, um, I recognize that first and foremost, what we're talking about is based on a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with him, it may not make a whole lot of sense, this kind of giving. Though there might be something within you that might think, you know what, it's good to give to people. It's an honorable thing to help those who are in need. But you see what Jesus does is he brings it to a whole nother level and he gives us more than just the need, but the reason for the need based on who he is. And maybe today you would say, you know, I, that's what I need in my life. As a friend of mine recently said, you know what, Rich, that's the one thing I'm missing in my life is a relationship with Jesus. That's what he said. And I'm happy to say that after a situation in his marriage, he's ready to receive Christ. A lifelong journey that he said, you know what, Rich? I always knew that the time would come that I would, that I would surrender to Jesus. I knew there would be a time in my life and, and that that time has come. So he said, and he's not completely there yet, but won't be long. He's on the ropes. He's going down. So I want to pray for you, if I might. Because what Jesus did on the cross was for you. He poured out his generosity to you. And the greatest gift that you can give Jesus is not your time or your talent or your treasure, but you, because that's what he's really after. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for today. We're blessed to be in this place, to have the freedoms that we have. And we understand, Lord, that we are not a religion, but the faith we have is based on a relationship. And we understand that you poured out your love for us so that we might have life with you not just today, but for eternity past. And we realize, Lord, we have nothing to add to the kingdom, that there's, there's no great talent that's lacking that only we can fill, but only we can fill that role that you have for us in your great scheme and your great plan. Forgive us our sins, Lord. Our trespasses are many. We acknowledge that. And if you've never expressed your love for Jesus, you asked him to forgive you your sins, to say, Lord, I need you in my heart. My spirit is resonating inside of me that I need a personal relationship with you. I've been running from you. Maybe the circumstances in your life have brought you to this place where you finally looked up and you would like to commit you would like to agree with Jesus that you're a sinner and you need his grace poured out. You need a relationship with him. And though you may not understand the Bible or you may not understand all the aspects of it, you know this much, your heart is crying out within you. And if that is in fact what's happening and you'd like to acknowledge that, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, but I'd like you just to raise your hand and I could pray with you and say amen, brother or sister, anybody at all that would say yes. This morning, I just want to give you that opportunity. Anyone at all? <clears throat> no. 
All right. God, you're the maker.